0: Welcome to another episode of NeuroPodCases,
1: a clinical neuroscience podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of NeuroPodCases. I'm delighted uh, to be joined again by Dr. Regan Cooley.
0: Thanks, Dr. Williamson. How are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. So Dr. Cooley is a consultant neurologist working in Canada, um, and he's a neurologist who specializes in stroke neurology. And today I'm gonna be talking about his approach to a patient who presents with acute vertigo. So uh, to begin with, I just wanna describe a typical case that you might be referred. So uh, you're contacted by the emergency department about a 50-year-old male who's presented complaining of an abrupt onset of dizziness. Um, This started shortly after waking this morning and has now been symptomatic for two hours. You don't get much more information than that in the referral. So you've got a a bit more digging to do. And what I wanted to do was just talk through your diagnostic approach to a case like this. Mm -hmm. So what what are your initial thoughts
0: when you hear that referral? So yeah, that's definitely not an uncommon referral from the emergency department, almost described exactly like that. Uh, This man is dizzy and it's unrelenting. So the first step in the process in my mind is you have to delineate what dizzy means. Uh, Dizziness means a lot of things to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to clearly define what he is experiencing and you kind of try to get them to describe it without using the word dizzy. Uh, The classic teaching is, is the room spinning or is the room spinning around you versus lightheadedness? That's a very good starting point. So is this man experiencing a vertigo or is there something else going on? Dizziness, a lightheadedness from a cardiac syndrome, a presyncopal syndrome, a vasovagal syndrome. Uh, the heavy lifting in the approach to vertigo is certainly all in history taking and what other symptoms have uh, come on along with that, including, uh, most importantly, brainstem symptoms such as diplopia, dysarthria, dysphagia, or any sensory symptoms or any weakness. Okay. So those, those would be the kind of red flags you'd be looking for in mm-hmm. the story.
1: The patient tells you that this, this onset of dizziness came on fairly abruptly and shortly after waking would uh, would the fact of whether this has happened previously uh, be irrelevant to him do you think or... yeah.
0: so uh, previous events of vertigo are somewhat reassuring most central causes of vertigo are not going to represent over and over with especially with isolated vertigo mm-hmm. um, then you get into the history of the other symptoms that are coming on with it that can delineate peripheral versus central in the history and then to back everything up your exam should help you out and when you get desperate Uh, imaging will help. Okay. So um, you
1: mentioned there about trying to distinguish peripheral from central vertigo. So can you just describe to students what you mean by that? Like what what are the potential causes for those those things?
0: Yeah. So peripheral vertigo is something that has disabled your labyrinth or your vestibular apparatus peripherally, i.e. not in the central nervous system, commonly thought of as the inner ear. A disruption of the semicircular canals or disruption of the connection between those things. Uh, central vertigo stemming from uh, your vestibular nucleus of course in your brainstem and cerebellum uh, and affecting the central nervous system. Those are the more dangerous vertigos and the whole goal of the emergency vertigo consult is to delineate peripheral versus central. Okay and um, what would be say common causes of a peripheral vertigo that you might see? So So when you come to the breakdown of approach to vertigo, uh, especially peripherally, uh, I like to do it by time frame, breaking it into minutes versus hours versus hours to days and associated symptoms. So for me, peripheral causes are going to be benign paroxysmal positional vertigo that typically lasts minutes, uh, kind of like a maximum of two minutes, essentially. Uh, Then you come upon Meniere's disease, which can last up to hours associated with oral fullness or tinnitus or hearing change. Um, then you can develop a labyrinthitis or vestibular neuritis, uh, upper respiratory tract infection causing inflammation of the vestibular apparatus. And that is typically a constant uh, days-long vertigo with no other symptoms coming along with it. Yeah, those are the main peripheral vertigos. There's some strange ones like uh, tympanic rupture or desiccation of the semicircular canals, but uh, those are few and far between. Okay. And then in terms of central causes,
1: um, As I guess, you're a stroke neurologist, so is stroke the main thing that you'd be worried about there?
0: That's the main thing for acute onset vertigo. You also have to think about uh, demyelination, infection. Uh, A trauma should be Mm self-explanatory, but anything else that causes focal neurologic deficits, such as abscess, although that's less likely to be acute.
1: Okay. So uh, moving on from the history and what you look for there, um, moving on now to the examination. Can you tell me about what what your approach would be
0: here? So um, the examination for vertigo is going to be your typical neurologic examination with a few kind of drop down menus that you really wanna hone in on. Uh, You really want to focus on your cerebellar examination and your brainstem examination along with some hearing. And then you have a special examination if everything is pointing in the right direction and they are symptomatic, the HINTS exam is quite helpful in this situation. Okay, and we'll talk through what the HINTS exam
1: constitutes um, yeah. in a second. Um, before doing that, are there any tips for students in terms of the cerebellar exam, things that are commonly not done that you think um, can be quite high yield examination findings?
0: Yeah, so the cerebellar exam is actually quite extensive in and of itself. It goes far beyond finger-nose testing, heel-shin testing, and tandem gait. Um, you can look for a rebound phenomenon with arms outstretched, eyes closed, and putting resistance up against the outstretched upper extremities. When you remove the resistance, you're looking for a proper check down of the rebound. Uh, an impairment is one arm going higher than the other, mm. m- suggesting that there's impaired uh, rebound. Uh, you're looking for dysdiadochokinesia, one of the greatest words in all of neurology to indicate kind of an, an impairment of the cerebellum. Any slurred speech and tension tremor, nystagmus is going to be very key here, which is a, that's almost a fellowship in and of itself, um, but it can be very helpful in differentiating the causes.
1: Yeah. Would it be fair to say that maybe aside from nystagmus, which we'll talk about more in a moment, any other abnormal findings on neurological examination would be moving you away from a peripheral vertigo towards a central cause?
0: Yeah, definitely. Any new focal neurologic deficit, in addition to the vertigo, is certainly going to require imaging before you become very confident in that. Yeah, okay. Um, so you mentioned there um, about this hints test, and
1: um, can you just talk us through um, to people who perhaps ha- aren't familiar with it, what it consists
0: of and um, how you would use it in clinical practice? Yeah. So the HINTS exam, it consists of head impulse test, um, nystagmus examination and then test of skew. Finally, it's only really applicable when the vertigo is persistent. So it's not that useful in something like VPPV in between attacks. Yeah. Um, The head impulse test is essentially an awake test of the vestibular ocular reflex um, to see if there's an impairment of one side versus the other. In this component of the examination, I prefer to do with their head out to the side and their eyes focused, pardon me, their head turned to one side with their eyes focused on my eyes and turning to center. You can also do it from center turning the other way. I find starting... Turned away, bring it to center is a little bit more useful for me. And you're looking for any catch-up saccade, so an impairment of the eyes, to the, the impairment of the ability of the eyes to focus on a fixed target. This okay. indicates that the pathway between the ocular pathway into the vestibular apparatus has been impaired. Now, if it's impaired only in one direction, and that is consistent with the nystagmus that you find, you can be quite confident that that is. Uh, A peripheral vertical. If it's impaired in both directions, you need to start looking for central causes. I see. So,
1: um, yeah, so just to recap over that then. So, the head impulse test is something you do at the bedside with the patient. You ask them to, to put their focus on a fixed target, which can be your nose, and then you make an abrupt turn of the head and the normal thing to do in that situation is what? What what should happen normally? Yeah, a
0: a normal person should be able to maintain fixation on the target with their eyes. So their eyes shouldn't deviate from my eyes, regardless of the abruptness of my turning the head, right? The brain can counter and stay fixed on a target, which would help us to hunt and find animals back in the evolutionary days.
1: So, and, and therefore an abnormal test could be that the eyes drift off target and then catch up with a quick catch up saccade back to the target and if that's in one direction only um, in the right clinical context would be suggestive of a peripheral
0: cause for a vertigo is that is that right absolutely so the impairment is their inability to stay fixed and then that is quickly overcome by the frontal lobes which can then refixate the eyes on the target so it's just a momentary um, inability to stay focused with the correction which we call the catch up saccade Gotcha. Okay. And and,
1: and you mentioned there's someone with a central cause of vertigo. It might be impaired in both directions. Can it even be normal, that test, in central vertigo?
0: Definitely. The the HINTS in and of itself is is only very strong when the correct components are checked off. If the hint, the head impulse component is normal, you're starting to lean away from a peripheral vertigo. Gotcha. Okay. Um, And then you said the the second
1: aspect that you would look at is... um, Nystagmus. Now, um, nystagmus Mm -hmm. is, you know, I think a very uh, daunting and complex topic in of itself. Um, Maybe just to start with, can you just talk me through like what what goes through your mind when you're trying to look for nystagmus or Mm -hmm. assess nystagmus?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Nystagmus is exceptionally complex. uh, And the way to get comfortable with it is just to look at eyes and eye movements over and over and over and over and over. So to evaluate nystagmus, I think the first step is to look at central gaze. Um, have their eyes fixated on your eyes. Take a long, deep stare into their eyes, into their soul. Uh, if there is presence of any nystagmus or inability to stay focused, uh, you're starting to look towards central cause. A common, a common cause of that is somebody who is toxic on something like dilantin. Just to keep that in your mind. Um, but if it's present on central gaze, that's quite concerning. Then I evaluate their eye movements, typically out to lateral gaze. Um, now you have to be mindful not to take them to the very end gaze of their uh, lateral eye movements, because most of us do develop a physiologic nystagmus that can be a little bit disconcerting or cloud the examination. So from what I've read out to 30 degrees is reasonable. And if the nystagmus is present there, that's far enough out. Now to differentiate between central and peripheral nystagmus, there are a few rules. There are a whole heap of central causes of nystagmus, such as pendular nystagmus, seesaw nystagmus, rebound nystagmus, but uh, that is definitely out of scope of what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the peripheral nystagmus that's quite reassuring is something that does not change direction, as in it is always fast beating in the correct direction. Uh, when you look at a nystagmus, there is typically, not always, but typically a fast phase and a slow phase. Mm-hmm. The fast phase, meaning the eyes quickly dart in one direction, that is the correction. The slow phase is the drifting of the eyes away from the target that they are supposed to be fixed on. And that is the abnormal component of nystagmus.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think something I was once told that um, really helped me get that slow phase, fast phase into my head was uh, that the, I think the origins of the word nystagmus uh, come from the Greek word uh, meaning drowsiness. And so, if you picture yourself kind of gr- gradually drifting off to sleep, um, that's the slow phase as your head goes down, and then the the quick phase is as you sort of jolt upright um, uh, just when you you wake up briefly. So, I think I think that's quite a nice way to to picture those two different movements. Um, yeah, I like that. But the but you said the so we we talk about directions of nystagmus, but it's the direction of the fast phase that we describe. So, if someone is
0: described as having right beating nystagmus. Mm-hmm. That would be the fast phases to the right exactly with a slow drift to the left it's hard to notice the slow drift too what is more dramatic is the the fast movement which yeah. is is good to pick up because that's how you describe it i see so you would be more worried if a patient had uh, perhaps when looking
1: to the right had right beating nystagmus i.e fast phase to the right but then when they looked to the left it became left beating nystagmus that would be concerning for you said you you want it to stay the same direction is that right yeah
0: certainly any any direction changing nystagmus is very concerning for a central cause Um, there are a few other rules of nystagmus for peripheral Um, one of them is going to be um, if there is a vertical nystagmus that is also concerning for a central cause oh yeah any nystagmus that is pure in a in a direction is also concerning for A Central cause so if it is purely horizontal purely torsional or Mm. purely vertical that is very concerning If you get kind of a mixed picture horizontal torsional nystagmus, it's quite reassuring for a peripheral cause
1: Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, so I I think just to reiterate there. I think students probably um, There's lots of resources out there and YouTube and things like that is great for looking at videos of this I think probably describing nystagmus is very difficult uh, to do over a podcast But it's good to know what the (laughs) things are that would worry Worry you as, as uh, to, to some more central cause. I think that's probably the key message here, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. You, so you, you mentioned the final thing is um, testing skew, um, test of skew. So, what, what do you mean by that? And um, what would be? So, also- yeah,
0: a, ske- a skew is uh, referred to as a misalignment of the eyes, typically in a vertical or perhaps off vertical direction, indicating there's an impairment of the uh, cranial nuclei that control the eye movements, such as 3, 4, or 6 or anything in the pathway within the brain linking those. Mm -hmm. So the test of skew is going to be looking at a patient's in their eyes and then you can do the cover uncover test or cover cross cover test to see if there is a break in fixation when binocular uh, fixation is removed. So if you cover one eye and an eye drifts off to the left and then you uncover it and it refixate, that's a little bit concerning. more commonly, you would be peeking behind the eye that you're covering to see it drift off. Um, you can cover one eye and then cover the other eye doing the cross cover test looking for aphoria and you would be looking for the same sort of thing. You would look, be looking for one eye to refixate as in correct itself when you remove the cover from it. That mm-hmm. if you see a skew or anything that shows kind of a misalignment that happens when binocular vision is removed, uh, it's concerning for central cause.
1: That's obviously uh, very helpful to have. And then what in terms would be your investigative approach to a patient with uh, an abrupt onset of vertigo, perhaps with uh, following the examination,
0: you remain concerned about a central cause. What what do you do? So the first step is going to be, for me, a CT and a CTA, especially if it's acute onset, we're going to look for some sort of um, stroke or hemorrhage in the brain. Uh, or disruption of their arterial system, or even just a dissection in the vertebral basilar system that could have thrown off a small clot or impaired the brainstem. Yeah. Um, if those are normal, then uh, the next step obviously would be MRI, but those are fairly hard to get acutely. And can can you miss a stroke in the posterior fossa on CT? Is that is that something that can happen? Yeah, that's an excellent point actually. The stroke not either not being established or too small to delineate with the resolution of CT is very commonly missed on, um, on CT if it's in the posterior fossa. So anything in the brainstem or even the cerebellum or cerebellar peduncles is often missed on CT.
1: Are you able just to, just to give any simple ways of remembering what it is that you're worried about in a HINTS exam that might point you more towards a central cause for vertigo?
0: Yeah, absolutely. A a very wise man and a mentor of mine once showed me a mnemonic that was useful for the HINTS exam, and it is infarct, I-N-F-A-R-C-T, impulse normal, fast phase alternating and refixation on cover test. If you fulfill any of those components, it's very concerning for central cause.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that is slightly perhaps counterintuitive when you do these tests, but the head impulse test, it's the uh, normal test that is more worrying than an abnormal
0: test um, and so yeah
1: test in yeah. One direction.
0: yeah i also think it's very worth noting uh, in, in conjunction with that uh, that the hints exam is a very powerful tool but only if used in the appropriate situation and if all the components are fulfilled a normal hints exam is not concern is not reassuring in any way a normal hints exam means you should be looking at imaging yeah i see okay yeah.
1: um so just uh, to finish on, just some quick fire cases just to run through. Um, so the first one is a 58-year-old man. He comes to the emergency department with recurrent episodes of vertigo. His symptoms were particularly bad this morning, hence why he's come to the emergency department. And he noticed them when he was turning over in bed. His symptoms have now fully settled. His full neurological examination um, is unremarkable. Um, he doesn't have much in the way of medical history either. So um, in this situation, what, what, are your,
0: what are your thoughts? So just from the vignette you've described, you have a man with recurrent uh, episodes of isolated vertigo that are very transient. Another way of phrasing that is some paroxysmal events of peripheral vertigo that happen only when he moves. Uh, it sounds very much in keeping with uh, benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, a disruption of one of the semicircular canals from some otoliths. Um, it would be very good to confirm with Dick's Hall Pike. It would be very reassuring if you could elicit it on Dix Hall Pike, and more importantly, if you could um, resolve it with the Epley maneuver. If yeah. you can do all three of those, you're you're very confident. Even from the history itself, uh, I'm pretty comfortable saying that is BPPV, uh, and I don't think imaging is necessary. And, and certainly, in that situation, if someone
1: said they'd done the Hints exam, you would you wouldn't be congratulating them at that point.
0: No. No, again, only useful if the the vertigo is ongoing at the time.
1: Okay, good. A sensitive female comes to the emergency department having woken up feeling well, but within half an hour she developed a fairly abrupt onset of vertigo. She describes it as a room spinning associated with nausea and vomiting. So it sounds like a a true vertigo as opposed to Hmm. one of the other causes of dizziness. She hasn't got a headache, there's no auditory symptoms. She's choosing to lie still because she's noticed that any head movement makes her vertigo feel worse. Examination demonstrates a normal, so no focal neurological deficit. And she's got a right beating nystagmus noted on lateral gaze, um, and this is increased when she looks towards the right. Her head impulse test is positive when turned towards the left, and there is no skew deviation. Um, So, just breaking Mm -hmm. that down a little bit, um, what would be your thoughts um, in terms of more or less likely to be a peripheral versus central vertigo here?
0: So, that description of the hints exam is the absolute perfect hints exam that you want uh, for a peripheral vertigo. Um, we have head impulse that is positive to the left, mm-hmm. uh, nystagmus that is unidirectional but increases to the opposite side mm-hmm. of the head impulse test, indicating a disruption of the left vestibular apparatus peripherally. Um, and there is no skew deviation. So we've fulfilled all the criteria of the HINTS exam and it's very reassuring for a peripheral, a vertigo, something that has onset acutely and has persisted over hours is most likely to be vestibular neuritis. Um, And uh, although management's
1: not the main focus of this talk, are there any any things that you would do symptomatically to to help a
0: patient like this? So, So symptomatically, often these people, need to be admitted to the hospital because although they are not ataxic or do not have a central cause, their gait can be impaired because of the perception of vertigo. Um, so you can administer antiemetics, make sure they stay hydrated, uh, and elicit help from physiotherapy to make sure they are safe to go home. Okay. Some people use beta histine uh, as a symptomatic bridge. Uh, you have to be careful that it doesn't stick around on their medication list for up to 20 years is because they got administered at once in the emergency department though.
1: And so finally, um, a 28 year old male presents with acute onset of vertigo associated with nausea, vomiting and gait instability. So his medical history um, is significant for a previous history of congenital heart disease as a child uh, requiring a Fontaine procedure and he's on aspirin. So on physical examination, uh, you get him up and walk and he's unable to heel toe walk. and has truncal ataxia, but no other focal neurology. There's no ophthalmoplegia, nystagmus, dysarthria, facial numbness, weakness, or any evidence of a Horner's syndrome. His head impulse test is negative, and there is no nystagmus or skew deviation. Um, So, are your thoughts different with regards to whether this is peripheral versus central?
0: Mm -hmm. So, his examination, well, first of all, he has a cardiac event. Uh, as a child, which raises your suspicion anyways. Um, and he does not have just isolated vertigo. The truncal ataxia is actually very concerning for a central cause. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his inability to heal toe walk at that age is also quite concerning. Right. Um, and the HINTS exam is definitely not reassuring. Yes. So when, when this happens, you start thinking about cerebellar infarct, especially with the truncal ataxia, something that involved maybe the the vermis and the cerebellum. And, and you can see the CT scan there. Um, are you able just to describe what what it is you can see? Oh yeah. So we have a CT head, both the coronal and axial view, and we see a very well delineated wedge-shaped hypodensity in the right inferior cerebellum mm-hmm. that looks like a pica territory infarct. Yeah. Um, so what would you have done if the CT it had- extends out to the cortex? So it, and there's no significant. Difference edema surrounding it. So it looks very much like an infarct.
1: And and you've alluded to this earlier, but what would you have done in this case
0: like this if the CT scan had been normal? So if CT scan is normal, the next step would certainly be MRI in case you miss something in the posterior fossa. You always want to make sure you get vascular imaging as well. Um, good. I, I think, I guess one of the, the important
1: things of this uh, patient as well is um, sometimes the Cerebellar signs can be relatively subtle. And I I guess if they hadn't walked this patient and hadn't um, really tested for ataxia by doing heel toe testing, that could easily have been missed um, or, or just dismissed because
0: the patient was vertiginous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting somebody up, uh, sitting at the very least, and walking is essential for your vertical examination. If they cannot walk, then, well, first of all, if they cannot walk, they can't go home, regardless of the cause. Um, but to examine the gait is crucial to any neurologic examination, and even more so when you're considering vertical.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for, um, for running through that with us. I think there's some really useful messages for students there. Um, are there any sort of just one or two things that you'd, get, you'd say as key
0: messages? Yeah, so I think, uh, like I alluded to before, vertigo, uh, the diagnosis itself is is strongly given to you in the history. So you need to start asking the patient the right questions and let them tell you the story, along with any other associated symptoms with that. Uh, don't take a vertigo and try to jam it into a box. You let them tell your story and you take all of the, the symptoms and time frame and put it together. And then your examination is crucial. And if you use something powerful like the HINTS exam, you can... Uh, be very confident in the right circumstance with your diagnosis. Great. Thanks very much. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at neuropodcases.co.uk.